Hey guys, so before I go into today's episode of the podcast, I just want to make an announcement. So if you are new to the podcast or if you've been listening to the beginning, thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. But I just want to make a special announcement that my first ever book is going to be coming out on the 3rd of December 2021. And the title of the book is The No-Nonsense Approach to Female Fat Loss and this is something that has been brewing for quite a while and it's something that I'm very, very passionate about and inside the book you'll be kind of looking at how to understand your menstrual cycle, how to understand your cravings, when to push your training, when to ease off your training, how to train and eat during your pregnancy and train around it, PCOS, how to understand endometriosis, amenorrhea, which is lack of a cycle, the pill is beneficial what type of pill is more beneficial does it does it impact your sex drive we talk about perimenopause and menopause and we talk about thyroid and there's many other topics that we talk about so it's fairly in-depth it's going through every single stage uh, that a woman can go through and it's fairly in-depth a lot of research a lot of effort's been put into it so i'm super super excited to announce that the book is available for pre-order through the link in the episode notes and it will be available through the link in my bio on instagram at shane walsh fitness or if you want to want to head over to shanewalshfitness.com forward slash pre-order the book and you can get all the details there it will be available on amazon from the 3rd of december as well which i'm super super excited for so i hope you guys enjoy the episode hope you guys enjoy the book any questions on the book let me know but i'm super super excited and hope you guys get a copy hey guys and welcome to the next episode of the shane walsh podcast so today is coach's corner volume 23 and i think this episode but i hope it's going to help but i do think it's something that an awful lot of people do struggle with i think it's something that both dallas and i have struggled with in the past and sometimes have to kind of like slap it out of our own heads Mm -hmm. uh, in relation to certain things so today's episode is volume 23 and the response to last week's one was was amazing especially i think it makes a difference sometimes when you we get a female perspective on it as well coming from someone who's come from that background so we'll be getting jane back on very very soon but today's episode is on food rules and why they are stopping your progress and if someone is listening to this and someone's come potentially from a slim club background as someone was coming from a, an emotional eating background, coming from, I can't have this background. I can't have fruit. I can't have carbs. I can't have dairy. I can't have chocolate. This is the episode for you. And I would probably get a pen and paper. And it would be interesting to hear the feedback, interesting to see what resonated with you. Um, but yeah, hopefully that makes sense. So Dallas, how are we? I am doing absolute swell. Body is happy. I'm happy. Can't complain. Happy, happy, happy. And we've literally just booked the Christmas party. So that should be fun. Um, so we need to understand what a food rule is first. Okay. So I'm going to define this. And then I know Dallas has some stuff on this as well. But the first thing we need to understand what a food rule is. I gave some examples of them, but a food rule is any decision about food, what to eat, when to eat, how much of it to eat. I, so something like I can only have two squares of chocolate. That's a food rule. That is based on outside sources of what you think is right or good, but not on your own knowledge or what feels good to you and your what your body is needing at that point. That's pretty much an amazing example of what a food rule is. 
So some examples of these, well, meals or snacks must be eaten at X, Y, and Z time. Always pick the lettuce wrap to eat as few carbs as possible. Sounds like shit crack. Uh, only eating sweet potatoes, not regular because they're good. So there's probably no difference between sweet potato and potato. It's marketing. The fiber content will probably be increased a little bit in a sweet potato. And not eating cake because baked goods are bad. No food is bad. A baked potato or a baked cake or a cake is not going to kidnap your family. Um, so what really, really matters when it comes to a funeral is the why behind the decision. So are you doing it because you want, because it feels good to you, or is it because you think you should? So when you are, another important question to ask then is, would I get anxiety if this option wasn't available? Is another important question. Think about the lettuce wrap option that I spoke about. Sometimes maybe we just aren't super hungry and we kind of want the lettuce wrap or put into the burger. Perfect example, Bunsen have the normal burger in the normal bun and on the, all the toppings and stuff. But also there's like an option where you could get it wrapped in lettuce. It's the perfect example. But what would happen if you went in there and they only had buns or they, they ran out of buns and they only had lettuce? How would that feel? So if you feel you get anxiety over either of those options, what we could bring in is a thing called a food preference. So it's kind of saying we need to unsure what a food preference is, which is, it's making a food choice based on what you enjoy most or most satisfying. So I know I feel satisfied and enjoy my ice cream each day because my chill time. So into understanding what feels best for you and not allowing the guilt to come in. If you're feeling guilty afterwards, then it's not serving you. It's not making you feel the best. It's making you feel a negative thing or a negative feeling or emotion afterwards. So it's based on your body's needs and desires. This decision comes from internal. This comes from within you. And it's not based on diet culture or what you feel is the so-called inverted commas, the right answer, because there is no right answer. That is the biggest thing. It's not who wants to be a millionaire. It's like genuinely liking one thing over another so sometimes you're saying to yourself what do i want the steak or do i want the pizza both are fantastic options but which one do you really want do i want (laughs) i didn't ask you that's a rhetorical question (laughs) uh but like but it's a perfect example like we were out for dinner on friday yeah um and the three of us went for pizzas and one of us went for a salad because that's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that they felt peer pressure to have the pizza, even though it was a pizza restaurant. It was like, I want the salad. And I was like, perfect. And I was with, it was in line with what they wanted to do. So it's kind of, here are a couple of examples of food preferences. Picking a lettuce wrap because you're not super hungry or would like more fries and you know both would make you uncomfortably full. Have some protein in most meals because you know it will help you keep you satisfied and help you along with your, your, your goal of kind of building more muscle. Eating a sweet potato over a regular potato because the added fiber will keep you your bowels your bowels more regular. Drinking water over soda because soda makes you feel full and sluggish mid afternoon. Picking white rice because you enjoy it more than brown, not because you're thinking the brown is diet culture or it's going to be more more friendly or healthy for your gut bacteria. You might notice that some of the things that fall into these categories, such as the lettuce wrap example. So the per- the biggest thing to notice here is the why is behind this choice. 
you very well could make the same choice when you give up period rules and it totally is okay to do that what matters is you're doing it because you want to not because you're depriving yourself or starving yourself or restricting yourself are you trying to cut carbs or you think you should is a big big question so we need to kind of experiment and say right if you're going to say bunsen this friday or whatever it is ask yourself do i want it with the bun or do i want it with the lettuce have it with the bun this Friday. Das is like, no to the last one. <laughs> um, but then if you're going again the following week on your date night, try it with the lettuce and see how you feel with each one. And then each time you're kind of going back or what it may be, it's kind of like, well, I feel better with the bun. So I'm just going to continue to go with the bun. It's asking yourself what's going to serve you and what's going to make you feel better. Not saying I can't have this because where is that rule written? You need to let those kind of like decisions kind of like, fluctuate a little ebb and flow and give a little bit more wiggle room so you need to ask yourself is there any scientific evidence to support only eating one starchy carbohydrate per day if you're banning carbs is it eating only one starchy carbohydrate per day realistic or sustainable probably not uh does it make sense for my body to eat only one starchy carbohydrate per day no probably not uh you may also wish to physically challenge your food at this time. In the case, try eating more than one serving of starchy carb per day and try to get it in maybe into your breakfast, maybe into your lunch and maybe into dinner. Have it more readily available. This is where the fear starts to come. Is like, well, I've been told by diet culture for so long, I can't have this. Yeah, but diet culture hasn't worked for you. And it won't. But yet you're still willing to go down that route because you think it's the answer. Well, it's not the answer. Um, so try to... The big one, another one will be the chocolate example. I encourage some of my clients to have chocolate every single day. And mm. I encourage my clients to have chocolate for breakfast. And they're like, what's the trick here? The trick here is that we're going to build the trust of the food. The only way to build the trust of the food is to have it every single day. So keep in mind that it is going to be uncomfortable. It is going to be a little bit out of control for you in relation to your emotions and how you feel afterwards. But if you're going out for dinner and you're saying, right, I'm going to have I'm going to sit down the menu. All right. I want to have the burger with the bun. Maybe take a note, an internal note and say, right, I feel a little bit nervous. Have the food and say, right, how do I feel? I feel a little bit guilty. But why do you actually feel guilty? Do you feel guilty because it's your set of rules? Do you feel guilty because someone has told you you can't have that? Do you think, do you feel guilty because I'll gain weight if I have carbs? Well, then you can ask yourself those questions again. Well, what evidence have I got that you're going to gain weight after having carbs? There is no evidence. Carbs weigh the same, are worth the same amount of money or calories as a protein. One gram of carbs is four, four calories. One gram of protein is four calories. If carbs, carbs are actually essential for girls as well. Fiber, digestion, cycle, ovulation. And if carbs are bad for you, which they're not, how would athletes survive? Good one. Little how bit. would they survive? Yeah, they wouldn't. Because yeah. you being ketogenic ain't going to give you enough glucose to end up running anything or competing at a high level. Yes. So the people that we look, we watch on TV every weekend, they are having carbohydrates. Like championship season starts around now for GAA. And the day before is when the carbs are fun. This mm -hmm. is where we probably get to six to eight grams per kg of body weight. And this is where if you don't have your carbs, you're going to struggle on the pitch. And if you struggle on the pitch, you're probably letting your team down. So emotional bribery there. Um, but like, you have to try and test it. Try out that kind of like 
that food preference you'll let it let it sink in and, and kind of go from there um so dallas i know you've got something in relation to kind of some of the most common shit food rules that are uh, in there um so i'm gonna let you kind of take over on that side of things well for a few people happen to know the author of some of these food rules being michael pollan absolutely has some amazing things i'll give him that however there are some very controversial things that are absolutely shocking and shite and stupid and really should not be done one of them being don't eat anything with more than five ingredients huh pizza well, I think about it when you make a stir fry, how many ingredients are you placing in that? It's make food. a stir fry with ice cream. Oh, okay. Oh, well, how are we doing the ice cream? Are we frying the ice cream? Are we putting it in and then melting it? I'm sure we can make it work. It, it, uh, it's a rule that's used to obviously try and create restriction, which is one of the things, but also it's a rule that's used to force people to go down more organic route. But then there's a follow-up to the rule. Don't eat anything you can't pronounce. Oh, that one, the reading the back of the label one. Oh, yeah. And it's like, okay, how many times have you realized that there are more, in terms of its scientific names, for not only the amino acids within uh, your compound or in your foods, but also different scientific names for the foods you're actually eating? So it's like, just because you can't pronounce it doesn't mean it's not a food you can't eat. So that's a rule that a lot of people like to go by. But then when you look at actually what is in the likes of your fruits, there are going to be things you have never seen before and 26 long letter words that you probably won't be even able to pronounce even on your first try. That does not mean the food should not be eaten. So it's like, it's done to try and keep people from eating things that are highly processed, which is cool. It makes sense in, a, in one term, but what ends up happening is when you say, don't eat anything you can't pronounce, people end up getting a bit fixated on the backs of packs now. And then they start looking at these things, which is now predicted for giving a person not only something that they have to hyper-focus on, but now starts removing a lot from their diet. For instance, like if you look at the back of a cereal box, right, it's going to have a whole bunch of things you don't know about. And you're going to be like, right, okay, I can't eat this. But for someone who doesn't eat a lot of fruit or any veg, that cereal box was, or that cereal they were eating every morning, was the saving grace and keeping them just above the baseline of you're going down a shit place. Now they read the back of it and go, cool, out goes the cereal box. And now they're officially in a position where they are unhealthier because they removed cereal. We see it all throughout the States. So it's like when you bring a food rule in, not only does it have the potential to help, but it also has the potential to truly create a big negative impact. And you have to weigh the options. Is this actually something that can help me? And that's what people don't recognize about a food rule. They take it as this is the divine rule and you can't do anything else about it. Don't want that happening. Another one of uh, Pollen's food rules is don't eat anything that can't rot. Yeah. Vegetables. <laughs> so it's like if something if, if something doesn't rot, i.e., you know, processed food, don't eat it. But then you come into a, a peculiar part. Honey, for instance, doesn't rot. I'm like, so it's like there's quite a few things in the world that don't rot, which is happened to be a nice thing. But it's also, once again, another food rule put in place to stop someone from eating processed food. Instead of coming with more of an aspect going, maybe lowering the amount of processed food you do consume per week is a better idea than saying outright limiting anything that can change. 
But once again, it's forcing a person down one particular path without recognizing that there's more to this than just, oh, yeah, don't go about this. Then he's got another one, don't buy food in a, in a petrol station because, you know, the fumes are going to touch the, the, the fruit. <laughs> yeah, because, like, fruit's that good at absorbing things. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. It's like it, it really comes down to the whole petrol, petrol apple. Oh, man, think about the extra fuel. I can go for longer. Oh, yeah, but you can light it on fire and make a fireball. <laughs> fireball. <laughs> yeah, dancing, but we won't go further. Another thing when it comes to a food rule is like, say the, the most common one, don't eat food after 7 p.m. or 6 p.m., whatever that may be, right? Yes, practicality in one sense, it's good. And then another sense, it's bad. So when we look at the practicality from it, it's like, Sleep can be disrupted if your meal is too big. And the sleep could also be disrupted based on your phenotype. So i.e. your ability or your genetic change in terms of how food works with you. So that means that if it's a higher protein meal, it could disrupt your sleep. You could be that person. You could be all the person that also has a high carb meal and could disrupt sleep. You could be the person that has high fat meal, disrupt sleep. Conversely, you could also be the the opposite of that, where high-protein meal makes you sleep better or high-carb or high-fat meal makes you sleep better. So it really is based on the genetic lottery on that side. We can also look at it from in terms of the body slowing down its digestion and its rate of production of its bile acid. So when it get closer and closer to the evening, the body's main purpose is to rest. That means it doesn't want to be running at 100% as it was midday when food usually is coming into it. So it's like you are going to see a drop-off within your production. So that means that you're a little bit less efficient at digesting and it takes a little bit longer. So that's where that affects sleep. Where you can say the other side, putting such a fast rule in place means that people have to often force food down their throat before X amount of time, not forgetting how to slow down, be present, chew and they end up swallowing like they've never swallowed before and then they end up having this extra gas bloat and big chunks sitting in their intestines waiting to digest now that's a problem because people can often overeat when they don't slow down when it comes to things so it's like yes a food rule can work but it really has to come down to as you're talking about why and the preference but also understanding where does it fit in if it is taking more away from you or it's pushing you into only one region now we have a problem it's kind of asking is the is the real adding to your life yeah. it's kind of like is the real serving you or is the real taking away from your life so yes what dallas has said is that after a certain time could be beneficial or it may be not amazing for your body but that's from more of a digestion point of view and a sleep point of view and a melatonin production point of view so you are well rested but when it comes to the actual value of the food your food doesn't change value at a certain time it's not like at six o'clock in the evening i cut your the, the the pasta that you have in front of you is worth x amount of calories and then at 601 it doubles in value. That's not how food works. It's that's talking from a digestive point of view. So you have to ask yourself, where, what evidence have you got shown? Have you, are you, uh, has that shown? Is this an opinion? Is this someone that has Mary down the road has told me, 
or is this coming from someone who actually knows what they're talking about? If you're picking up your evidence or you're picking up your information from people who you wouldn't swap places with one, who may have their own insecurities about food too, or coming from a slimming club background and probably don't know their arse in their elbow because they're not educated. The people who are in those, who are teaching those slimming clubs are actually teaching. They're telling you the way in your in and telling you're a gimp if you are down, which you're not. Yeah. Um, so you have to be careful where you take. Like, do a social media audit. If someone's telling you that you can't have a certain amount of calories after a certain time limit or whatever it may be, where, where does that come from? But he's still going to be processing it. It's like they're like, for instance, one of the old school bodybuilding methods, right? Body opus, which is you'd be eating every pretty much two to three yeah. hours, right? It's difficult. Which meant like, and this is going to be crazy for some people listening to this. They would get up in the middle of the night and either chug a shake or eat chicken breasts because it was, I need to eat every two to three hours. They would purposefully disrupt their sleep, being the, one of the most anabolic things that humans have at their disposal just to get food. And even still, did not gain fat. It was just them eating food to ensure they could build muscle, lose weight, to keep everything taken over. The body still digested it. Yes, it might be a little bit slower at it, but it still did what the body was intended to do. So it's like rules are wonderful. For instance, like sometimes we can give clients like set days that you would like to actually eat something nice or set a day where you want to, as I know you hate the word treat. So it's like there's that I was like, yeah, I got to bring it in. So it's like often people will do that. Setting a day when you want to do it. So you've got a bit of a rule to follow or structure to follow. Fine. But soon as it becomes a hindrance, soon as it becomes your crutch, now's the problem. So it's like for some people going to the extreme saying eating chocolate every single day is a little bit too much for them to start out with. It's just going to give them too much overwhelm and anxiety. So you start off with, right, pick two to three days in the week that you will, and then you can build up from there. Then you can remove it once you've habituated to it and lost all a sense of I have to eat this. So it's like you can use rules to actually bring a positive change to your life, but you can't just go, I'm going to put these rules into place and I'm going to follow them for the rest of my life. And if I step outside this zone, shit's going to go wrong. Yeah, I think the other rules that I've heard, which aren't very beneficial to other people is... I can only have one bar of chocolate a day, or I can only have two squares or three squares of chocolate a day. Where is that fact? What evidence is there for that? If you want to have more, have more. But if you don't feel amazing afterwards, then you have to ask, or there's guilt there. You have to ask yourself, where's the guilt coming from? Mm-hmm. The other one is can't have fruit. Oh, yeah, because I forgot fruit makes you fat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and insulin fairies rob your children when you have fruit. Yeah. No, it doesn't work like that. No. We can, we, like, we can make some of the cases that if you're overfeeding in terms of if you're going into a high surplus to like, you'll see some dudes decide they call what the dirty bulk, which is basically, I don't care about my health. I am just going to go chug liters and liters of milk and eat pizza and take away. In that sense, when you're in a massive surplus, high amounts of fructose from the likes of fruits and like, you know, high corn fructose syrup can be problematic for the person. 
you need to be taking in excess of close to 150 grams per day for it to start seeing some part of the issue. That's a lot of fluff. Like even on my my good days, in terms of good days when I eat a lot of fruit, I'm getting only about 25, max 30. And I'm like, and that's a lot of fruit I go through in a day. And I'm like, so think about how much you truly have to consume to get there. Yeah. Um, Another food rule, which I think is an interesting one, is don't emotionally eat. (laughs) Well, then we'd never eat when we're out with friends. Or we'd never have Christmas dinner. Or we'd never have birthdays we all emotionally eat it doesn't matter what we do it's all emotionally eat because we have association with certain things yeah how our mind works and what what makes us enjoy the food or enjoy the company that we're around a little bit more emotional eating isn't always a negative thing but if the emotion that is there isn't serving you and you're numbing it or you're using food to you to kind of like numb it or whatever it may be then that's potentially where the issue comes in. But it's mm-hmm. also what we spoke about in the previous episode of Coach's Corner with, when Jane was on was in relation to you're not always going to get it right. And no. what I mean by get it right is if the negative emotion comes in and you have something, it's okay. Yeah. But if that emotion is coming up continuously, and you're still doing the same thing and still behavior reaction to it and it's not serving you right into your life then something needs to change with the behavior because the trigger is still there but you need to change the behavior afterwards and that's when the difficulty is because like we all negatively emotionally eat we're human that's the big word human we all do it but it's when that a negative emotion isn't serving you more often than not and your coping mechanism is food drugs alcohol whatever it may be then that's when the negative emotion may not be the most beneficial to you. Emphasis on the language that I use there may not be the most beneficial. I didn't say it was good or bad. Um, and then the other one that I've heard an awful lot is I'm having too many carbs. You're having too many what? Carbs. Oh, get out. <laughs> but it's like, well, it's like, oh, Shane, um, oh, uh, I'm on, I'm doing my macros and I've had too many carbs. Like I'm not having enough protein, we're having too many carbs. Like for what? Exactly. It's because everyone obviously still takes the whole idea that carbs are going to make you fat based on the terrible uh, insulin hypothesis. Well, Vish Red said it. You know, and he and he lives in a mansion and owns cars and basically takes his top off and rubs his ab off the carb and now you know exactly what to do with nutrition. Like, seriously. Uh, yeah, it really comes down to that aspect in terms of people where you think carbs are going to be a problem. But then it's also, it's like, if you actually have a disease... If you have, uh, say, a problem in a sense with the body where you have, say, something like insulin resistance, it's like, yes, okay, you need a lower-ish amount of carbs in the body. That doesn't mean you don't need any form of carbs. So it's like it's not making you fat. It's just the way that the body's mechanisms for handling it have been altered. But the biggest premise is the amount of calories that you're consuming. Yes. It's like with everything, but it's also, it's the food rule of the fitness industry likes to go on. It's always protein for every meal. You don't need protein for every meal. Sometimes it's wonderful to have carbonara. And what is my carbonara? 99% carbs and pretty much the rest is fat. And there's nothing wrong with that. And like, I know I literally just got off a podcast with Mary Jo and she was talking about how to manage your PCOS with carbohydrates. 
and she and you're your protein i know one of the questions you sent in from some of your clients or your dms or whatever it may be is try to get your protein and your carbs together yeah so that you are filling yourself up one but you're also getting your gut flora and your gut microbiome is getting looked at as well through the carbohydrates whole grain carbs where possible see that word again those two words where possible just because i didn't say white carbs white carbs aren't evil they're not going to rob your children but if you're not feeling amazing afterwards you need to look at where's that rule coming from yeah it's like remember it a lot of rules uh, people like to put in place as a way of controlling things without recognizing that there is very little we truly can control in life. It's like, great, more rules I have in place, the more control I have. It's like, no. that's how this works. No. And the funny thing is, well, if I reduce my carbs and I don't eat fruit, well, then the scale's going to go down. Yeah. But then you're putting the control into the scales when we ultimately have zero control over it oh, I've gone on holidays and I've damaged control and now the scale hasn't gone up, so now I can eat like a dickhead for the rest of the day. It's it's kind of counterintuitive. You're trying to put your bias or your attention onto something that you can't control and ignore the things you actually can, which is how you react to situations, how you feel after food. You can say, right, I'm being in tune with that more often than not having your regular meals, getting some sort of movement or exercise into your daily routine and questioning where your evidence is coming from. Now, food rules can be very, very hard to ignore for a lot of people. Let's not, I'm not trying to downplay that at all. The messaging is all over the place and it gets very subtly ingrained into our thoughts very, very easily through the media, through these headlines that are in certain newspapers, whether we realize it or not, or people have struggle for dieting for years or people are coming from slimming club backgrounds like oh i can have unlimited sins i can eat unlimited things unless they're in my what was the word that was used yesterday by one of the girls on the call um my heat or my what she's trying to say she's in heat <laughs> oh it was like some rule it was like oh i can have only these certain types of vegetables they're branded as something oh, i can't remember what it is um I was like, no. Um, and the first stop, first step to eating is based on your cues, not the rules. So if you want to take back the control, you need to look at the uncomfortable side of like I'm gonna say something right now, and some people are not gonna like what I'm gonna say. And you can agree or disagree with me, ask. I really don't care. If you have food guilt. You shouldn't be dieting. Yep. Is that right? Pretty much. Because nine out of ten times it comes down to self-esteem and self-worth. Yeah. So if you're not in a particular amazing place with yourself, foods isn't a diet isn't going to bring that up. You think it will be because the the social media or the media has told you that, oh, if I look a certain way or I weigh a certain thing, I'm going to be happy. Uh, bullshit. Oh, yeah. Like, for people, just to put it in perspective, like, wonderful quote by Dr. Hebert. I think it's her first name is Christina. Um, it goes, like, self-esteem is what we think and feel and believe about ourselves, and self-worth is recognising 
I am greater than all those things. It is a knowing that I have value. I am necessary for life. I am lovable. And it doesn't matter about anything else. I'm incomprehensible worthy. And it's knowing that because if you understand your self-esteem and your uh, self-worth and when dieting is something that can occur. But if anytime you put food into your mouth and you automatically have that guilt problem here because it not brings up a trigger about your self-worth, it's not going to change because it doesn't matter how much you lose, your self-worth has never changed. Your self-esteem hasn't changed. Just because you can fit into a size eight or 10, your self-worth is still the same the very day you started to diet. Until and, you uh, yeah. And this, so I put up a post, I think it was yesterday, in relation to how to come overcome food guilt. And food guilt is feeling that we've done something wrong or eating, not eating certain foods or having too much of a certain food or other habits that we may hold. And some of the things that we need to look at is bring awareness to your thoughts. Why are you experiencing the food guilt? Is it from that set of rules? Is it because I'm eating my feelings? Is it because I'm eating negative emotions all the time? Is it because Sharon said, I can't have this? Let go of the food rules is number two. No good or bad foods. This may look like if I have ice cream, this evening, I'll just skip breakfast in the morning to make up for it. I'm going to have cookies now so that I can go for a walk later on so I can burn them off. That's not serving you. That's like you don't burn as many calories as you think through exercise. 5% of your total daily expenditure is through exercise. And people don't realize that. You cannot, cannot out-train your diet. Number three, unfollow your accounts that aren't serving you. Follow loads of puppies or cats or whatever it may be, kittens or whatever it may be. Number four, practice permission to eat and enjoy all the foods. Have chocolate every day. Do you know the foods that you're thinking that are kind of off limits or ones that bring you food guilt? If you have the chocolate every day, which you probably are having the chocolate every day, but it's different with the language you're using. Well, I'm having this for myself. I'm having this with my cup of tea so I get to have fun time with my kids. Mm. Because ultimately your kids are mimicking what you're doing. Yep. Say no to restrictive diets. Fuck keto. Fuck clean eating. You can't polish a turd. Don't be afraid to ask for support. Be compassionate with yourself and say, if something hasn't gone right, look at what didn't work right. And what I mean by what hasn't worked right is, has that negative emotion crept back in and was food the mechanism? was exercise the mechanism if you overindulged on food. You're human. But if you keep going back to that same repetition over and over again, it's not going to serve you. Nothing's going to change. It's possible to do. And we've been very lucky with the clients that have come on the episodes of the podcast and have been amazing. We've got another one coming up very soon. Joanna Jane's clients is coming on and like super, super brave. The the, the, the story um, she has. Um, so we're just trying to organize that at the minute. But you can't change what you're unaware of. And if you're so if you're blind to see that you are numbing emotions through food or you're not willing to get uncomfortable, it's going to be very difficult for change to happen. You have to notice when that guilt is coming up. Use the mood and food journal, write down how you feel before the food. If the negative emotion is there saying, right, I'm, I feel lonely. Some people will go for alcohol at this time. It's like, well, what is the alcohol going to serve? Is the alcohol going to help me 
feel better about myself? Is it going to bring, is it going to solve the emotion or is it just going to numb it? And then you're probably going to want another one after the temporary release is there. And there's no problem in having the wine or the chocolate or the food, whatever you may be. But it's when it goes to the two, three, four, 12, 15, 17, whatever it may be, that's where the issue lies. Because yep. it, it's not serving you. It's not solving anything. But a simple big deep breath in and say, hang on, do I really need this or do I want this? That simple, those simple words could be a big difference. And if you want it, amazing. But it's asking yourself, how would I feel afterwards? You feel like shit afterwards? Once shit's not a feeling. Yeah, it's a simple thing. It's especially on a call yesterday. Um, um, she was talking about bringing everything into conscious awareness. And I was like, exactly. And that's the whole point. Well, as you were saying, it's when you're conscious in that position, you have the ability to understand how you're going to feel in the present moment and how you're going to feel in the future after it's occurred. And that's all you need to be able to overcome that is recognizing what am I like during this moment and how can I be in the following moment? When you project forward, you've given yourself time to understand not only the emotions that you're feeling now, but you get to start predicting how the future will be. And we're pretty good at predicting a couple of minutes ahead of us going, this is how I'm probably going to feel because we can base it based on our internal state now. Or you can see it from previous times that you've had this issue before. Yeah. So the evidence is there. But then it's a choice of pulling the trigger. So the evidence has shown you that you don't feel amazing with that current behavior. It's not solving anything. But yet we continue to do it. Momentary release. Exactly. But my analogy here is, which is probably going to make people laugh, is porn will give you a temporary release, but it's not as good as the real thing. Yep. It has a purpose, but it's not going to solve the itch. And if you've got an itch, get checked. (laughs) 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 It's the same thing. Like, if, like, if, Porn has a certain has a purpose, like, but if you're addicted to it or if you're if you're feeling lonely and you keep watching porn, like it's not solving the it's not solving the problem. And food's the same thing. It's like it's just it's just going through a different behavior. But if you're still feeling lonely or even unfortunately if you're feeling shame and stuff afterwards, well then you kind of gotta change the coping mechanism. And there is support out there. Like if you're coming from a binge eating background or an eating disorder background know there is support like body wise in ireland and stuff like that and there's plenty of episodes that we've done on it before but if you're coming from an emotional background and emotional eating background we can help yes but we can only help if the preparedness to get a little bit uncomfortable is there and i know you had a conversation yesterday afternoon with a client and i had a conversation with a new client coming on board yesterday and I said, right, are you prepared to get a little bit uncomfortable? Because she was so honest and so open on certain things and about certain elements of her life. It's like, you've known me for what, half an hour on the phone call? And you've been so open and honest. She's like, yeah, I've never done that before. It's like, okay, so that's a massive credit to yourself. So now you've pushed through that barrier. Now it's pushing through the next barrier. Because a coach or a person or a nutritionist or a dietitian can only lead you to the door. You've got to walk through it. And this is an analogy that Dallas uses an awful lot with clients. We can only lead you so far. The information that you're probably taking in can only lead you so far. 
But if you're trying to go it alone and nothing's really changing, it could be time to kind of reach out. Um, yeah, I didn't think we we're going to bring in food guilt um, into this, but because I have literally notes in front of me and yeah, everything was just fresh in my head. Um, one of the things that like I've got, I've kind of got like three tips that we can kind of help to get rid of the food rules. I think number one is probably the one that has I've seen the most with clients and most um, help with clients anywhere. The benefit of clients is kind of coming from make a list of of their of your food rules, like write them all out. And if before you actually say, I don't have any rules, <clears throat> that's bullshit. I want you to actually evaluate your thoughts and say, right, is there anything to do with carbs? If you look through your pantry right now or your kitchen right now and say, right, is there any food there you think there's some rule apart around? Can't have food, can't have chocolate, can't have this. Then do you give yourself to eat anything at any time? Is there a certain time you restrict yourself? I can't have anything after 7 p.m. If no, then you probably have like food elsewhere, but you need to just be aware of the food that you have the food rules that you have and actually challenge them. It's really, really important. The next sentence, what I'm going to say is you need to write down those food rules without any judgment. Doesn't mean you're less of a person for having food rules. Doesn't make you any better of a person if you don't have any food rules. We all have food rules, but some are looser than others. Some of them can be moved. Like Dallas was talking to me earlier about, like he knows roughly what he's what is what's in his breakfast and his dinner with his calories. But when it comes to the evening, there's a little bit more liberation. So there's yeah. Dallas's food rules. So that's not negative, but that's what serves Dallas. Um, write out the rules observe the rules so here's some of the common ones there's no eating after seven no desserts during the week carbs are bad avoid them at all costs one starchy carb per day one one fruit allowed drink lemon water or apple cider vinegar every morning i would rather stick my dick in a toaster um uh, choose either the bread basket or alcohol when dining out no food no added sugar in any foods only eat zero percent yogurt or greek yogurt your food rules can be beliefs, mm. thoughts, or feelings you have about food. Oftentimes, food rules are influenced by past diets that you have tried. You may not even recognize that it's a food rule internally because it's so ingrained in the way you actually eat and with the people that you potentially are surrounding yourself with. How often do you go out for a meal and say, are you sure you should be having that? Oh, oh you just eat. Exactly. Like, we were out for the meal on Friday and... We had the pizzas and whoever else we were with. I'm not going to name. Had the had the had the salad and stuff. But at some point of view, was that serves them for what they want? It's no. It has no difference in my life. Oh yeah, like that burnt cheesecake at the end. Brownie. Oh. I looked at the brownie afterwards. I was like, I really wanted another one. I know. I know when that happens, and you're like, damn, I should have ordered like four, and then you're like, nah, I'm happy. It gives me another reason to come back. Exactly, but we'll associate that with the uh, with being able to go out and have a meal out again, which we probably have taken for granted over the last little while. So make a memory. We've got a photo of that occasion now as well. So it's kind of like we'll make the memory, attach the memory to it, and made a positive thing out of it. You need to try and be honest with yourself and kind of let go of those those rules that you have. If it's from a point of view of who you're surrounding yourself with, potentially audit your circle who you're going out with for meals. I'm not telling you to stop going out with Sarah and stuff for dinners or Susan out for lunches and stuff. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is 
if they ask you a question about could, should you be having that? It's like the answer is yes. And don't let them impose their rules onto you. Exactly. You don't if if they said to you that the sky was, I don't know, green, would you believe them? Would it impact your mood? No. But if they said something about your food and you're getting irritated by it, you need to look and say, well, why is that irritating you? Why is that triggering you? Just because someone says something to you doesn't mean it's the truth. That's their opinion. What evidence have you got that their opinion is fact? It comes back to that again, fact via opinion. And the answer is zero. Um, number two is order your food rules from easiest to hard to break. So actually break those food rules down and put them in an order that you could break the, the easiest one first. So you're kind of like, you're start. imagine that's like a link. You're breaking the first link of the chain. So from my experience of working with clients on this, I find it's easier to work through the food with a system, systematic approach. Instead of me saying, now go eat whatever you want, it's easier to challenge your food as one at a time. So it can be a personal choice of like, all right, let's try and have chocolate every day. That could be the big one because that's probably the biggest one for most people. But we'll start off with a smaller one of saying, right, all right, um, I can't have, I avoid all sugar or... I uh, can't have more than one fruit serving per day. Well, then we'll try and get one in with your breakfast and potentially get one in as a snack in the evening. Then you're going from one to two. That's mm. doubling what you potentially already having. You're doubling the amount of fiber and digestion they're having there. It can be difficult sometimes, but you also need to try and not get hung up on this step. Worst comes to worst, you end up tackling a harder one first rather than the easier one. So like the chocolate one, if that's your thing. But what has happened with, with a lot of my clients is the chocolate one's the one that they want to tackle first because it's the biggest thing that's or hurdle that's been there for them for the most of the time. It's like, right, have chocolate for breakfast. I had chocolate for breakfast this morning. Well, sometimes I have it for dessert. I have it for lunch. I uh, ate Dallas of chocolate before I came on the podcast, by the way. Oh, I three, four times in a day. Exactly. And Dallas is looking in pretty good shape, so... Oh, oh shucks. Yeah. <laughs> you can pay me later um uh so then the, the number three is challenge your food rules this is where the actual fun and the challenge actually begins so this is a step that requires a lot of personalization so the way we're going to systemically approach challenging the food is to question their validity and try to reframe your thoughts for every rule you have ask yourself is there any scientific evidence does this food rule sound realistic or sustainable? Is this going to serve me long-term? Can you logically find fault in this food rule? And then challenge. So, for example, we'll use an example of chocolate. It, that, the tagline would be, chocolate's bad for me, it's going to make me fat. That's the perfect ones that I use on a daily basis. Is there any scientific evidence to support your rule? No, because it comes down to total calories in and everything in moderation. Does this food real sound realistic or sustainable? No, because I like chocolate and you're probably having chocolate every day anyway. So it's just reducing the amount of chocolate they're having every day, probably. Can you logically find fault in this food rule? Yeah, the food rule hasn't really served me so far. So the evidence is suggesting that it's not working for me. So there's no truth behind it. You've noticed that there's no negative effects on what you're trying to do. And your, your, your evidence from before of the other mentality that you have hasn't worked. So there's the, there's the facts. The more you challenge the rules, the more benefit you'll probably see in your life. But I do think it comes back to 
if you are finding that you have food guilt or if you're finding that you have food rules, it's going to be very difficult for you to probably go into a dieting phase or yeah. to lose weight. That's not to say that everyone shouldn't do it or can't do it. That's my opinion. Mm. And I'm basing the evidence of my work with clients. That's what my evidence is. Yeah, It's not written anywhere. Or if it is, I haven't seen the paper. But it's coming from a point of view of, if you're coming from that point of view, it that 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 kind of like I'm going to say dangle the carrot, but carrot's not the problem. Uh, the I'm going to dangle the chocolate bar. Um, that's that's the hurdle is trying to say to yourself, right? I'm having it every day anyway. So why then to make this a positive? Yeah. So it's just reducing the amount that you're having, not having the multi packs in the house because you can control that. I can control saying, right, do am I hungry or is there an emotion? I can control my breathing. I can control my reaction if I want more because all it's saying is, well, why do I want more? On a scale of one to 10, how hungry are you? Probably a three. But then you're not really hungry. There's something else going on. Yep. So being able to live off your own cues will give you the freedom is there anything else you want to add in, Dallas? Because I know I've kind of got taken over the podcast again. No, no. I think the biggest thing I would say is we always assume that it's going to be out of control and it's going to give us freedom. Yet, look at it from a prison aspect. They happen to have the most control out of anybody. You know, they can't decide when they're going to do a lot of things, yet they have the least amount of freedom. It's like... like this. Yeah. Um, and if you're eating something because the scales will go up, I'm here to say the scales will go up. So that may, so someone's going to get triggered by that sentence. <laughs> and when you do, please send us a message. Please do, because the scales are going to go up. Yeah. What was it? You, you were talking to me earlier about something that you've used with a few clients in relation to the water. Oh, yeah. So an uh, easy way to recognize what water uh, is doing because everyone's like, oh, my God, water and how the water <laughs> and how it changes. Yeah. If you, I've ever said, oh, my God, water. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not drinking enough. Yes. But it is simply is like if you see your baseline of water, whatever that be, for some people, it's literally half a liter a day and you triple that in a day. Go step on the scale tomorrow and watch your weight go up. Go back to baseline and watch the next day your weight go down. That's just water fluctuations. Then you can also play the same way as sleep absolutely in a bed. Obviously, make it as warm as you can in the room. Go home and weigh yourself the next day. Oh, look, your weight went down. Have another shocking night's sleep, and then your weight will go up. There are so many things that play when it comes onto the scale. It's not just, oh, my God, I have just put on weight. And it's like, once you recognize that there are so many influences on the scale, you can start recognizing that, ah, yeah, it's just a number. It's a data point. Cool. Move on. Yeah. Um, no, I think like there's loads there. Like, what is a food rule? We talk about food rule for the food preference, the food rules that we see daily with clients, some of the silly ones that are out there in the public domain. Um, we talk about food guilt. We talk about how to overcome food guilt. 
we talk about trying to how to get rid of food food rules as well um and then dallas has a, like that it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting experiment um yeah. and it, it, it does show you that like if you like your stomach is like a bag if you put more something like more rocks or grass or into the bag that you're probably out in the back garden with it's gonna weigh more so it's the exact same but it's also realizing that you have zero control over what that piece of plastic says yeah it's like trying 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 to remember it's you can influence the direction to a point exactly and that's it and that's all you're doing. It's you're creating a small little consistency step here and here, and that over time you will notice a change on it. But even then, you can technically still weigh the same, and your body can look completely different. Yeah, I have a photo of me at my when I was at my least uh, healthy frame of mind. Uh, just how it happened to coincide when I was not amazing. Um, I hadn't wasn't training at all or doing anything. And then I took a photo, what, four years later, three and a half years later, exact same weight, but the body composition is chalk and cheese. Yeah. Not to say that I was um, potentially in a better headspace. It just happened to be that I was, but because I was living the life that I valued, it wasn't anything to do with how I looked or how I felt. It was living the life that I actually valued and being productive to that. But that yeah. photo it always reminds me of where I've come from. Well, like I, I was thinking of trying to do a post on it without trying to trigger as many people on um, But in essence, it's coming down to it's like when you step away from trying to force everything for your physique and for your body, you start noticing the biggest changes start to occur. And it's like coming from someone who loves training and loves pushing and doing challenges. When you step away from that whole idea of, I have to really force myself to do this because I really want to see change to, hey, let me enjoy the process and work on everything as a whole. You actually start to notice your body becomes receptive to actually changing. And then you start to fall in love and be like, hey, if you want the body that you always dreamed of, if you're going to go in there with a hammer, dynamite, and all C4, you're going to come out with rubble. But if you decide that you're going to build it, which is take the time and chip away, you will get the body you want. I love that analogy. That's one of your best ones yet, Dallas. You're learning. You're learning of the analogies. <laughs> There's fucking shit and I'm going to kill you. I've, I've taught Dallas how to learn and how to talk in posts. It's funny uh, when your head goes that way. Um, but like there's so much there, guys. So the biggest thing that I want you to kind of do is if you've listened to this episode and there's any element of it that is like, well, this is me or this has triggered me or how do I help myself on this? So the language that I'm using, I haven't used any negative language on that side of things. Pop us a DM, share it up on your story, share it with friends, tag your friends in the episode because you're not the only person that has is having those difficulties. We sometimes have to question ourselves on these things. And sometimes it's kind of like, it's very easy to default into it. If you're stressed, if you're tired, if you're emotional, all these kinds of stuff that to default into where you were beforehand. It's so easy. We have to realize you are not alone. We can help. So if you want us to help, pop us a message. If you want us to do a particular episode or a follow-up episode on it, and we'll get Jane involved as well and talk from her background as well, we will. We will continue to do client episodes. But if this episode has triggered you in particular, or if you're finding that this is something that you're struggling with, DM us. 
Um, so Dallas, thank you so much for coming on. We've got the next coach's corner is going to be on endometriosis. So I know that seems to be coming up more and I've literally just written the chapter on that in the book. So it's fresh in my head and Dallas, the King is proofing the book at the minute. So if you want snippets, bribe Dallas. Well, that's going to be fun to read it. My only thing is making sure there's no this, this 126 times. Wow. Let that one go. Yeah. Um, that's a food rule. Uh, <laughs> um, so no guys thank you so much for listening if you want to pop us a message about coaching and stuff just pop us a DM or there's a link in the bio uh, or there's a link on the bottom of the episode and I'll be more than happy to kind of book in a chat uh, we've got some exciting stuff coming up the book will be out on the 3rd of December it's getting very close to being ready yet um, and I'm super excited the cover's in all that kind of stuff so uh, Dallas thank you so much for coming on Ah, you're more than welcome. It's been a pleasure and I hope everyone enjoyed the podcast.